You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Thank you for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Deputy Chief Michael Barbells. Welcome to our 2023 Year in Review episode, where we revisit conversations from the latest season of our show and highlight the valuable insights shared by our guests. We begin our eighth season of the FDNY Pro Podcast with an impactful episode about the history-making appointment of FDNY Commissioner Laura Kavanaugh. In October 2022, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced and swore in Kavanaugh as the 34th commissioner to lead the department and the first woman. In her role, she oversees the nation's largest fire department. The episode was hosted by then Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio, who discussed Commissioner Kavanaugh's previous experience and plans for the future. Ultimately, what's your personal mission for being fire commissioner? My personal mission is to leave the fire department a little bit better than I found it. I actually think that should be the mission of all leaders. These are great places, and a great place can always be a little bit better. And I also think there is an obligation. It's such a special place. It is a family. You know, leave it in a better place than you found it and leave it with the next generation of leaders. It was obviously very exciting, but I also don't think that it fully hit me in that moment. It's such a big, important, special thing. I think it'll take a while to really absorb it. The work makes sense to me day to day, but thinking of like the historic nature of that, Mm -hmm. that one will take me a while. But it is, I was definitely happy and even though it took some time, by that time it happened, I felt like it was right. And I think a lot of other people felt that too. You know, that day was able to be joyful with some real certainty from from everybody involved that the right fit was there. So, you know, there's always an upside even to a long journey. As is common in the first responder world, triumph and tragedy can be closely linked due to the dangerous nature of the profession. In February, our episode was focused on the incredible legacy left behind by one of New York's bravest. Tragically, on December 12, 2022, Christina Moon's husband, firefighter William P. Moon II, or Billy as everyone called him, suffered a fatal injury while preparing for a training drill at his Brooklyn firehouse. Days later, when it became clear that the 21-year veteran of the department would not survive his injuries, Billy's family carried out his wishes to donate his organs to help others. In total, Five organs for Moon were transplanted into five desperate recipients. Two of those recipients include retired FDNY members Captain Patrick Reynolds and Lieutenant Terrence Jordan, who joined this conversation remotely via video conference. Christina Moon joined host Battalion Chief Brian Mulry in studio. It was an emotional reunion that humanized the organ donation and transplant experience. I want to acknowledge you know, how complicated this experience can be, the emotions everyone is navigating at this time. Christina, how do you feel about Billy's donation and meeting his organ transplant recipients? You know, it's it brings comfort to the situation. I mean, it's, it's very emotional. I'm holding back the tears, and I'll probably cry on the ride home. It just it puts a face to the names, and it completely gives it even more of that human perspective of they're not just going for just some operation. Like, these are people, and they have a life now because of him. And, yeah. you know, he really spent so much time. He was never, like, a wasn't a selfish person. You know, it wasn't about making himself so much better. It was, like, what could he do to help the fire service or help others in general. So just the fact that he got to keep helping people, it just the way the pieces fell. And I remember when they did his dignified transfer from Brooklyn to NYU, you know, we were following behind the ambulance and I just got this feeling of it's going to be okay because this is happening. It brought some peace to the situation because it was, it, it's horrible for someone to have to go through it. And the whole week it was a blur. Everything was a blur. 
but just to sit there and have that feeling of knowing that at least other people are going to be okay because of this. You know, no matter what, he wasn't coming back. So the fact that they could benefit made yeah. it better. An amazing legacy. The day before my operation, Dr. Brazan told me that we're going to have the operation, and it was from a firefighter. He told me all the particulars. You know, they tested everything. I was a match. And then the next day, I went in, which was great news. It was like a Christmas miracle, because I was at, I was probably within days or weeks of passing, you know, at that point. And Christina and Billy gave me the gift of life. It's like I, I got a second chance, and I'm very grateful. And Christina, I want to thank you again and tell you, Teresa and I love you again. <laughs> Same. It's been an incredible story, and they saved my life. Incredible. On December 19th, around 4 p.m., the call came from Mount Sinai that we should make our way into the hospital. We turned out like a first two company, and we <laughs> arrived at the hospital for 6 As you should. <laughs> in advance of the next day operation. And uh, as Terry, I'll reiterate Terry's words, uh, there'll never be a way to ever pay this back. Hopefully we can pay it forward by educating people about organ donation and the piece about the dozens and dozens of members that were willing to undergo an operation and uh, donate a partial liver to me is also an overwhelming uh, emotion that will always be with me. In line with the first two episodes of the year, which highlighted profound legacies associated with the FDNY, our March episode featured two trailblazing women of the department, retired Battalion Chief Rochelle Rocky Jones and active Battalion Chief Michelle Fitzsimmons. On the show, they discussed their successful careers with the department. Chief Fitzsimmons joined the department in 2001 and currently is the highest ranking woman firefighter in the FDNY. Chief Jones entered the department back in 1982 with the first class of women ever appointed to the FDNY and climbed the ranks to become the first woman to be promoted to the rank of battalion chief in 2003. Chief Fitzsimmons followed in her footsteps and joined the rank in 2020. Elizabeth Cassio hosted this conversation in conjunction with Women's History Month. I was so excited to be there. Fortunately, through the course of probing school, I kind of had instructors here and there who would kind of come over and be like, you're doing great. Like giving me like these words of encouragement and a few of the drill instructors, like at the end of Proby School, pull me aside and be like, I'd be thrilled if you came and worked in our company. I had so much fun and I didn't mind. It really didn't bother me being the only woman in there. Yes, I was the only woman and yes, I stood out and maybe I've kind of blurred out bad memories about it, but I, I really didn't have a problem being the only woman at that time because I was just, I was thrilled just to be on this job. It was a good setup because you're the only woman so many times. I was lucky that she blazed the trail for me. Thank I was God. lucky that people followed. <laughs> <laughs> now I just got to get more people to follow. I feel very lucky that I came on. You know, I was very fortunate to come on in 1982. And I was very fortunate to have a long enough career to see lots of changes happen with the department. Lots of changes happen for women. And I wish that a lot of my early sisters could have stayed long enough to see all the changes and all the goodness that has happened. I couldn't have imagined as a probie in 1982, retiring as a battalion chief and having such a great career and seeing women being more accepted. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying it was unimaginable to me in 1982 to be where we are today. 
The professionalism of all FDNY members is closely tied to their unwavering dedication to saving lives and protecting property. In recent years, the department has met the challenges of an emerging threat to New York City due to mishandled lithium-ion batteries. On November 5th, 2022, FDNY units saved multiple residents from a three-alarm fire in a Manhattan high-rise. The explosive fire, which was ignited by an e-bike's lithium-ion battery, blocked the first arriving unit's entry into the fire apartment. Multiple firefighters were lowered simultaneously to rescue residents trapped at the window, overcoming obstacles that challenged members while suspended 200 feet above the ground. In this special two-part episode, firefighters and fire officers working in Ladder 1-6, Rescue 1, and Battalion 9 recounted the harrowing details of this operation and highlighted the teamwork, determination, and lessons learned that left an indelible mark on listeners. Battalion Chief Brian Mulry interviewed Battalion Chief Anthony Pascacello, Lieutenants Adrian Walsh and Joseph Decker, and firefighters Darren Harsh, Christian Wellinger, and Arthur Pogorski in this captivating episode. You couldn't see exactly what she was stuck on. All Belvon gave us that she was stuck. That's when we discussed with Arthur, you're gonna have to go out with a tool. We're not sure what you have. Do you have this? And he's like, yeah, I got it. So we put him out, we hand him Halligan, and then Arthur was on his way. It shows the discipline also. You know, when we train for a rescue pickup, we don't train with a tool. But he recognized, I don't have what I need here. Right. He relayed the information and really cleared the space for the next person to come down. Right. So, Arthur, now you're up. You detailed a lot of 16 for the day, and now here you are. So the first thing I, I was noticing when I was at the window, I, I quickly looked for my anti-chafing device, which I didn't have. So I improvised real quick, and I, I used the LSR bag. When I went out, I asked to be lowered, and I eventually reached the height of the woman. There was a lighter smoke condition than when Belvon was out, so I, I got to get a way better look at her arm. At first, I tried to come up with a quick way that I could maybe just pull her out and hold well, her. Well, just let our audience know, what did you have? Like, uh, it was a child gate. Yeah, it, it was a child gate, but it definitely wasn't a cheap one. It, it looked a little bit more substantial, and uh, her arm was snaked through it more than once. You could tell that it was broken, and her full body weight was wedging it into the child gate. I couldn't figure out a way to use my halogen with one hand and hold her body weight with the other hand. Mm. So that's when I communicate to the members above that we're gonna need two people simultaneously working on this lady to get her out. FDNY members worked in quick fashion to save a young life on August 24th, 2020, during the midst of the COVID pandemic outbreak in New York City. That's when Tracy Harris began having severe abdominal pain that prompted her to call 911 for help. Just prior to EMS arrival, she realized that she was in full active labor. She was 23 weeks pregnant at the time, and her preterm baby girl had just unexpectedly delivered while she laid on the floor. In this episode, Station 20's first arriving EMTs, Silverio Moreno and Jonathan Rivera, who had never worked together before, recalled how they upgraded the call from OB out to a cardiac arrest as they discovered the newborn baby was not breathing and had no pulse and the events that followed. Mother and daughter were taken to Jacoby Hospital Medical Center and eventually both made a complete recovery. In 2023, the patients and their rescuers were reunited at the FDNY's second chance ceremony, a precious full circle moment for all. Captain Randy Lee hosted this heartwarming episode. How long did it take before you found out the results of your efforts, that the baby's life was saved, that the mom was okay? Wow, I didn't even know. I don't know the exact time frame. I did just remember getting something from my station, a save a life letter and uh, a pen. But it's funny because in the beginning, I didn't necessarily remember what was it for, but I remember at the bottom of the letter reading the address and 
everything just came back into my mind and I knew exactly what call it was. And you know, you know that you put your best foot forward and you know that you did everything that you possibly can and you saved the life. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any other way to put it. I think you just get a sense of fulfillment. You know, I can do this and you know, I was trained by a great department and it brings you so much joy to know that you saved a life. I have a message from mom for you guys. Hero Monero and Hero Jonathan Rivera. I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving my daughter's life. She she was born 23 weeks and only a pound and like 17 ounces. And you guys took off with her when she came out. I always thought of you guys highly. Very much appreciative. But now that you touch me. Oh my gosh, you guys are angels, and I want to thank you, thank you so much. Some of the most difficult fires FDNY members face are wind-impacted fires. It's been more than two decades since the department began studying the impact of wind in high-rise building fires, which ultimately led to current protocols, procedures, and equipment developed to help fight these fires, and are now part of FDNY's standard operating procedures. In our June episode, retired Battalion Chief Gerald Tracy shared his knowledge of wind-impacted fires and revisited how the department improved its understanding and tactics of fighting these challenging and devastating fires. This included studying wind-impacted fires during a series of live burns on Governor's Island in February 2008. Captain John Cirillo hosted this information-packed conversation. The bedroom door was open. The apartment door was open. The natural wind outside blowing into that bedroom space overpressured the space so much that it was puffing smoke back out the window. But yet the video that was captured in the public hallway was flame from floor to ceiling out of the apartment door and 25 feet further down the hallway, there was flames blowing into the stairwell because we had the bulkhead open. So that was proof positive of the devastation of a wind impacted fire and then uh, when you introduce water and curtains, how that changes dramatically. Yeah, that particular event with the overpressurization of that apartment, that allowed us to understand what the roof position was seeing at Vendalia Avenue. That's right. And that momentary burst of heat and smoke was not a fluctuating wind. It was the overpressurization of that compartment. Our summer episodes, which featured FDNY medal recipients, highlighted how effective FDNY training programs and position-based tactics lend to operational successes in the midst of harrowing fires and emergencies. In December 2022, two people plummeted five stories down an elevator shaft at the Bronx Terminal Market. Lieutenant Shlomo Winkler, then a rescue paramedic, and paramedic Kira Watkins, together with numerous on-scene units, worked to treat and free the patient trapped beneath the elevator car. In our July episode, Winkler and Watkins discussed their processes, challenges faced, and teamwork needed at this incident. For their professionalism and commitment to providing quality care, the two were awarded the Christopher J. Prescott Medal at FDNY Medal Day. So when do you get into the headspace of, I'm doing a regular medic job versus now I have to activate myself as a rescue paramedic? I guess that would happen fairly quickly when you have a hashtag officer on scene already. So I get into the headspace as soon as I got the assignment. I, I get into that headspace. I start thinking about 
what information I heard over the radio. We heard that somebody had fell down an elevator shaft. So I'm thinking now we have extra equipment on rescue ambulances that other ALS units don't have, different bags, different tools. We have harnesses for uh, doing rope work and different types of things like that. So in my mind, I'm already like thinking about worst case scenario, like what is the worst possible scenario that could be happening right now? Which tools would I need to take with me to the scene? And that's the mentality of a seasoned rescue medic. You have some experience, you've done assignments similar to this before, but Kira, you're two months out of medic basic. What's going through your head? A lot. I really like working on the rescue truck, especially with Shlomo. But at that time, my main priority is being on a supportive position for Shlomo. So when we got on scene, my first thing to ask him was, what do you need from me? What can I do to help you? And he started gearing up. He has a special set of gear that's different from our turnout gear that he wears. And he had to get his harness and everything ready. And he instructed me what equipment that he needed for this job. And I got everything together. Obviously, I put on my PPE. It's different than his. And I got all of his equipment ready that he would possibly need. And I set that up on our stretcher so we could bring it down to the call. Members of Ladder Company 108 received a unit citation and three of their members were recognized with individual medals at the 2023 FDNY Medal Day Ceremony, the most of any one company this year. They saved multiple people amongst challenging conditions and heavy clutter at a Brooklyn fire in May of 2022. In our August episode, Lieutenant Chris Walter and firefighters Roger Buck and Joseph Andres discussed the operation with host Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. So we have reports of multiple people trapped I'm running out of water and I'm thinking they exited the apartment safely. Let me see what I can do to find another victim before I exit the apartment, before we run out of water, trying to keep this fire back. So that's when I conducted a right-handed search. I made my way to a back bedroom, grabbed a, uh, she was a little girl, like seven years old. There was a lot of clutter in the apartment. They termed it heavy clutter. Right. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say so. There was multiple bags of like clothing and I think there was even a bicycle or a scooter in the corner. There was just a lot of obstacles through the living room and even into the back bedroom. It makes it hard to identify a, a small child. Right, so that's what kind of happened in my head. I had felt what I thought was a person under a bag and I really wasn't sure. So I actually pulled her head toward my face piece to just see if what I had was a person. Yeah. And sure enough, it was a, a little girl. So from there, I just proceeded to give the 1045 and exited the apartment with her through the living room, kind of knowing where I'd come from. Yeah. Had to lift her over some of the obstacles. So as soon as I got her to the hallway, laid her down and dragged her back down to the stairwell. All right. And there was a third victim? Yeah, there was a third. So after we had removed the disabled woman, we were in the hallway. We had, you know, as I stated, we handed her off. We made our way back into the apartment. There was a report of another child missing. So made my way through the living room to the, to the bedroom again. Did another search. Uh, the child ended up being half under the bed, half in, half out. The elderly woman had two prosthetic legs that she, she was not wearing. So I came across the legs first. So you can imagine, you know, you come across a leg and then there's nothing else. And then... You know, the boy was just half under the bed, mixed with clothes, bags. So took him out. He was in respiratory distress. So going down the stairs, I gave him a few few rescue breaths, and then uh, an EMS lieutenant met me in the lobby. Every year, our promise to never forget is in part showcased during our September episode. 
This year, we share the 9-11 testimonial of an important FDNY figure who is known for his deep spirituality. As FDNY chaplain since 1996, Monsignor John DeLendick comforted, advised, and ministered to the department's members and families for nearly three decades. On September 11, 2001, he responded to the terrorist attacks and served as a pathfinder to safety, first aid, and ambulances while providing counsel to the desperate who were losing hope. During the recovery efforts, he spent his days attending memorial services and funerals and his evenings checking in with members working the pile. In the years since 9-11, while the department rebuilt, he continued attending plaque dedications, funerals, and visiting with members, but also bestowed blessings at graduations, promotions, and on the department's marine fleet. Eventually, Monsignor Delendic received the same news many World Trade Center responders have since that fateful day, that he too had developed World Trade Center-related illness. Earlier this year, host Elizabeth Cassio spoke with the Monsignor about entering the priesthood, his introduction to the FDNY, and his experiences since in our riveting September episode. I started going north. I went north. When I got to that corner, I heard the same noise with the North Tower. And instead of heading to Chambers Street, I turned and ran towards the river, the uh, Hudson River. And as I was running, this police officer ran up next to me. <laughs> And he said, Father, can I go to confession? <laughs> I, at him and I, says, I said, this is an act of war, right? And he said, yes. He said, right, I'm giving everyone general absolution. <laughs> and I was reminded later, this was the second time that day I gave it. I gave general absolution when the people were jumping off the building. For our listeners who aren't Catholic, what is that? We have a sacrament. We have seven sacraments. One of them is the Sacrament of Reconciliation, or Confession, as people call it. Absolution is the prayer for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so at the end of when a person confesses their sins, we uh, pray the absolution to forgive their sins. Mm -hmm. General absolution is usually done like in wartime when, when a, a chaplain is on a battlefield and there's a whole field full of, you know, and there's no way under God's earth are you going to hear confessions of all these people, and that's how I felt that day. So I used that rule, and I gave everyone forgiveness of, of their sins. And I'll tell you, that, that helped later on when we started the support groups with the families, you know, especially the parents and stuff. And some of them, especially the mothers, would say, you know, my, my son hasn't been to church in years, says he hasn't been to confession. Uh, can he be saved? And all this, I said, I gave them all general absolution, <laughs> don't worry. And plus the fact that he ran up those stairs for good, the Lord's never gonna condemn her for that. I went into St. Peter's Church and I saw uh, Father Judge. They actually had kind of laid him out in front of the altar, put a stole on him and, uh, and there was a lot of people coming in and, and, and praying. And he had a gash behind his head because when he was running up the elevator when they were leaving the North Tower, he fell and hit his head, back of the head on one of the steps of the elevator. That's why he was bleeding. So that was uh, poor Michael Judge, you know. I hate the picture of his, you know, where they have him being carried out on a chair. Yeah. I've had so many people giving me that picture and I'd hand it back. I says, I don't want it. That's not the Michael Judge I remember. The Michael Judge I remember was the picture of him standing on the seashore you know, in Flight 800, standing there, looking out in the water, and he was praying. That's the Michael Judge I want to know and remember. 
So that's the picture I have up in my room. Sadly, Monsignor Delendic passed away on Thanksgiving Day this year. In July 2023, Manhattan FDNY companies were dispatched to a high-rise building under construction with reports of a crane on fire. The construction crane was positioned about five stories above the 45-story building when the engine caught fire. Upon arrival, the crane's boom, which had 16 tons of concrete attached, fell, striking another high-rise building before crashing to the street below. Chief Brian Mulry talks through this challenging operation with two of the initial chiefs on scene, Battalion Chief Anthony Pascacello, Battalion 9, and Battalion Chief Mark Rosenbaum, Battalion 8. I'm sizing it up. I kind of in my mind was hoping to try to do like a complete 360 to see everything. To me, it looked like, it basically looked like a van on fire in the sky. And I'm thinking like, how are we going to put this out? And as I was doing that, you know, it was a hot morning. So we had the air conditioner on, the windows were closed. And I started seeing people running and yelling. Never a good sign. No. no. That's never and, a good then, sign. <laughs> and then it got awfully dark. And then I started hearing a roar. My aide had just said to me, where do you want me to park? And I said, let's make the turn onto 10th Avenue. You know, I was anticipating a zone, and I said, let's stay out of the zone and also stay away from the hydrants. And just as we were doing that, I could feel stuff hitting the car. It felt like snow almost, you mm -hmm. know? And I knew with all the yeah. people running, I knew. I said, it's coming down. I didn't know what was coming down. My thought was the whole boom was letting loose and we were going to get crushed under it. We heard this tremendous roar and crash. We could only make our way to 42nd Street because traffic was already stopped. Yeah, it's rush hour. Right. He made a hard U-turn and we were facing south and then I could see the whole destruction. I saw what happened. I saw that the arm had fallen off. I asked my aide, I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. We jumped out of the car and then one of the first units had started giving a, a report that they had injured members. So what I did was... I hit my alert, emergency alert beacon on my handy talkie, and I told everybody, let's just do a quick roll call to make sure we have everybody. A trench is considered a temporary excavation where both the length of the floor and the depth of the trench exceeds the width of the floor. Construction and underground utility service and repair are a few of the reasons trenches are dug. And given the amount of underground infrastructure and construction happening in New York City, FDNY units are responding to these collapses more frequently. These incidents are deceivingly dangerous as they often occur with little or no warning and a high percentage of deaths that occur involve would-be rescuers. In this episode, host Battalion Chief Brian Mulry discusses trench rescue operations with Lieutenant Todd Smith, who is the lead trench instructor at the FDNY Technical Rescue School and a member of Rescue Company 4 in Queens. It's one of the most dangerous classes we teach yeah. at the rescue school. The week consists of technician level training that's 40 hours and we're in a live trench the entire week. Yeah, the instructor cadre is a group of uh, people from all of our SOC units, but we're like super focused on making sure that our members don't get hurt in those live trenches. The saying in all the books is the dirt moves at 40 miles an hour. Yeah. We all get it. We're all type A personality. That's what we do. That's what first responders do. We want to jump in and help people, but you could be at risk if you just jumped into a trench arbitrarily that's not been made safe. We are proud to have eight seasons of the FDNY Pro Podcast and want to acknowledge with gratitude all that make it possible, starting with the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. A special thank you to the FDNY Digital and Media Unit led by Joe Malvasio. Thank you to our producers and editors, Kristen Ang, Nick Gus, and Patty Murphy, without whom these monthly episodes would not be possible. 2024 will mark an exciting milestone for us. In March, we'll publish our 100th episode. Stay tuned for that and more. I'm Deputy Chief Michael Barvels. On behalf of our hosts, now retired Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry, and Captain Randy Lee, thank you for listening. 
For more training and information from our department subject matter experts, visit FDNYPro.org. FDNY Pro is online at FDNYPro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.